Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. Hallelujah. God's good. I said God's good. Anyhow, I want you to, I'm going to, man, I got 13 pages of notes about stuff, but I think I'm going to change something. First, I'm just going to read something here for you. This is a, this has nothing to do with the message I'm going to bring this morning. This is how wonderfully synchronized I am. I know that you're all too hot, so we're going to try to make sure that we create space for you to chill down. This is, I was studying, I'm always studying stuff about listening, about the importance of listening. And I, I found some other quotes the other day that I'm doing in something else, but I thought I'd share a few with them this morning. Definition of conversation. A vocal competition in which the one who is catching his breath is called the listener. Just seeing if anybody's listening. You didn't get it, did you? Shake your head if you didn't get it. Ayana. Ushers. My wife says I never listen to her. At least I think that's what she said. For all you single people, you like this one. If you want your spouse to listen and pay strict attention to every word you say, talk in your sleep. <laughs> Women like silent men. They think they're listening. This is really bad. If you want to know how your girl will treat you, how your girlfriend will treat you after marriage, just listen to her talk to her little brother. Even if you don't have a little brother, trust me, you can figure that one out. Boredom is having to listen to someone talk about himself when I want to talk about me. Good God, man. What? A good listener is simply a good talker that has a sore throat. I'm sorry I read those, believe me. <laughs> Romans 11, the last few verses. I, Like I said, I've got all kinds of stuff here this morning. I, was, I wanted to revisit a couple of things that I've spoken. I mean, you know, I, we've got Ron next week. I didn't want to start a series of anything yet this year. Um, I had a lot of things in my heart. I mean, I was, I, the main thing I wanted to speak to is just Again, you're, all of you being faithful to what God's put in you. And I'll just quote Exodus 4.2 again. You've heard me speak on it before. Remember that question that God spoke to Moses, that question, when he said, Moses, I'm, you're going to deliver my people Israel. And Moses ba basically freaked out. And he said, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do what you've asked me to do? How am I going to do what you've asked me to do. And God's question back to him, remember, was, what is that in your hand? In other words, what do you already have possession of, Moses? And what Moses had possession of was basically, you know, it was that rod, but it was basically a common stick. There's all the kind of ways I could go with this. He said, with that rod. And Moses looks at him and says, what? And he says, throw it down. 
and he throws it down. And then God says, pick it up. It turns into a serpent. He says, pick it up by the tail. And he picks it up and it becomes a stick again. Now, we all know that story, but there's so much to be understood in that about our lives. Every single one of you, I say it over and over again in this place, we do have incredible talent in this church. All manner of skills, all manner of graces. And I want to say that too. It's, all, it's here in Romans 12, 3. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. But in Romans 12, 3, in the King James, it says that God has dealt, listen to me, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. It says the measure of faith. It speaks to an equal, the word is for equanimity. It speaks to an equal amount of stuff to start with. In other words, there's never been one individual on planet earth that's ever broke, that, you know, that's begun to breathe, that's been born. There's never been one individual on planet earth that's ever been born that God hasn't gifted in some way, somehow with something on the inside of them. That means you and even your neighbor, even that person sitting next to you, just possibly. <laughs> no, but no, they have a gift in them that's uniquely crafted, designed by God. Now, the way it becomes stronger and better, I love it. And again, in Hebrews, it says that you have to look at how God made the world and the, the earth itself. It said God framed, and amplified, God framed, fashioned, and equipped for its intended use, the world through his word. That's an incredible thing to see. He formed, he crafted, he fashioned, he equipped for its intended use through his word. In other words, when God's word comes, it begins to fashion you. It begins to shape you. It begins to form you. It begins to compress you, whatever way you want to look at it, into that position that God knows will cause you to be a maximum use to planet earth. Hallelujah. But the key is still coming back to something very basic that a lot of us don't like to hear. And that's just staying in this book consistently. Churches like ours, quite frankly, don't get a lot of report. Right? Now, i got to be careful here. <laughs> People love to go to churches where they have explosions of stuff happening all the time. And those churches grow quite rapidly. Churches that have a consistent, now I'm just speaking, you can read this from Ralph Mahoney's books on church growth. You can read them from what's, uh, Rick Warren's stuff, anybody. What God really looks for is consistency. He wants consistency in your life. He wants that constant decision to grow. I'm going to move forward. Like our musicians or anything else, no matter how long they've been playing, you get better by continuing to play. You just keep playing. And again, it's like anything else. It's like muscles, it's like being in a gym. You have to begin to put pressure against the pressure, right? You begin to put pressure against the pressure. If you let it, this life will squeeze you and put you right into a form. It will just, you know, it'll cause you to be framed and fashioned after something that's not God's will at all. This is why we need to pray for our friends and for our brothers and sisters to say the least, because they need to be, it's only through God's word that you really discover who you really are. That's all I'm saying. Somebody say amen, please. Just make me feel better. I know you're chilly and I'm just up here looking handsome, but you know, hallelujah. Anyhow. God framed, fashioned, and equipped for its intended use. He equipped for its intended use the world 
through his spoken word. He will not do any way, he will not do it any different with you. The way you get honed, shaped, fashioned into what God really wants you to be, the lights begin to come on again is when you begin to see yourself and God's destiny for you. Okay? That stick that Moses threw down, there was nothing heavy about it at all. It was just an ordinary stick. But this is one of the things you learn. The ordinary becomes supernatural when it's yielded to God. You really need to catch that. Every one of you have something in you, like I said. Moses had a stick. It was just a stick. He had to throw it down. He had to throw it down. He'd been in the wilderness for some, he'd been out there being a shepherd for some 40 years. That was something he used to guard, to guide his sheep with, the, the herds. So he was used to it. It was something he knew how to use. Please, you got to hear this by the Spirit. He threw down, let go out of his possession, that which God intended him to be great with. He threw it down. So God could do something with it until God said, pick it up. Again, I want to say it. The ordinary, the only way the ordinary, I'm an ordinary teacher. I'm an ordinary singer. I'm an ordinary this. The only way ordinary becomes extraordinary is when God touches something. You hear me? Do you really hear me? This is why you can do whatever you do. You can, like I said, whether it's sing, play, dance, write, speak. And many of you have natural giftings and talents. I say this often, I know. But one day, if you haven't discovered, I pray that you have. But if you haven't discovered, you learn that the grace for it to become more than ordinary only is there when you... Lay it in the lap of Christ and let the Spirit of God blow on it and then pick it back up when he tells you to and then work with it. Amen? Just say amen anyhow. Samson had a donkey's jawbone to slay a thousand men. Ruth had a little bit of grain she gleaned from the field to work that miracle. David had his sling and stones to defeat a mighty Philistine giant. The unnamed boy had his five loaves and two fishes. The woman had an alabaster jar filled with oil to anoint Jesus. I'm just going to read something else that I wrote down so I won't mess it up. And this is something I want to say in particular for this church because of how magnificent our setup teams are and what have you, but for the rest of us. Listen to this. If you aren't using the gifts that God gave you in the church, then that means that your role is either going undone Or somebody who doesn't have that gift is filling that role and maybe getting burned out because they're working in an area that they are not gifted. Now, I'm going to say that again just because I get to be the pastor. If you aren't using the gifts that God gave you in the church, then that means your role is either going undone or somebody else who doesn't have that particular gift is filling that role and maybe getting burned out because they're not working in an area that they're not gifted in. I know you all love me for that, but that's the way it is. 
A guy named John Boykin in his book wrote, quote, Many Christians feel more comfortable with the idea that apart from Christ they can do nothing. In other words, they got that part down well. Many Christians feel more comfortable with the idea that apart from Christ they can do nothing than they do with the other side of that coin, which says they can do all things through him who strengthens them. Hallelujah. In other words, if you say I can do nothing, that lets you off the hook. But when you begin to understand that I can do all things, it makes you wonder why I'm not doing all things. Anyhow, I can see you're really excited again. I'm just going to take a drink of water while I look at you. Cheers. At least we have a beautiful baby on the front row. Ayana thinks I'm talking about her, but I'm not. <laughs> Hallelujah. Like I said, I have a whole bunch of stuff up here, body gifts and everything. But, you know, I'm, under, I'm just going to read a chapter and about 10 verses on another chapter to you. And then we're going to stand up and let the worship team sing a little bit again and we'll go. I'm going to start Romans 11, verse 29. Romans 11, 29. All of this from the Amplified. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter and then I'm going to read all of chapter 12. So you better pray that I don't start preaching. On it all. Romans 11, of course, is a very powerful chapter. It's speaking about how God views the Jewish people, Israel, today, and how that they'd fallen away from God, but that that wasn't what you're supposed to major on, what you're supposed to see, that that's only for a moment, and that we Gentiles who are now saved by the blood of Christ are to provoke them to jealousy and so on. And then he comes all the way up to verse 29 after he speaks this about, from, well, let me read verse 28. From the point of view of the gospel, the good news, they, the Jews at present, are enemies of God, which is for your advantage and benefit. But from the point of view of God's choice of election or divine selection, they are still the beloved, dear to him for the sake of their forefathers. Now look at, but verse 29 is for every single one of us, regardless. This is the verse that I would pray that you would all really take to heart, write down, maybe meditate, speak it to yourself three or four times a day for the next few weeks. I really want you to catch this. Now I want you to, you remember what I said earlier again? It's, it is true that nobody has ever been born that doesn't have an assignment. Remember, there's one talent, two talent, five talent people. The issue isn't whether you have one talent, two talents, or five talents. The issue is, will you be faithful with what has been put in your hands? Amen? So if you're not called to be the head of the Bank of England, and you're only called to be, I don't know what, an innkeeper in the house of the Lord, or like this, it makes no difference. The issue is, where God places you, will you be found faithful? But Romans eleven twenty nine is an incredible verse. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. They cannot be revoked. Do you hear that really? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. That gift in you will never 
never, never, never be revoked. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them when once they are given. And he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace, or to whom he sends his call. Hallelujah. So when Rod Anderson appears before the judgment seat of Christ, and I will, He'll ask me, what have you done with what I gave you to do? He is not going to ask me about what I've, what I've done with what Julie's been asked to do. Or what Sheila's been asked to do. Or Jason's been asked to do. Or Mike's been asked to do. But he will, as it were, judge us. Now, thank God, we that are saved have already been judged as far as eternal judgment. We don't go before the great white throne. That's where people who never, who have always rejected Christ go. But all of us, as it were, will be held accountable for the gifts that God has given us. The only reason there are going to be, and again, this is something that you can study out. The only reason there are going to be, you know how it says there are going to be tears in heaven at first for a while for many? How God will wash away the tears? It can be proven through the scripture. The tears that will be washed away are those that will flow from you because of hearing what you could have done. Now you're gonna it's gonna be all right. You'll be before Christ. Hallelujah. You will have made it. Eternal life is yours. But to look back and see why why did I make this decision? I should have listened to her. I should have listened to him. I knew better. I knew not to go to something. I like what Kenneth Copeland said years ago. Would you quit calling the Holy Ghost something? <laughs> something told me. Something told something, something down here told me I shouldn't have gone that direction. You know what I mean? But that's why, again, you see... We're called to be deeply tenderized to God. Our spirits are to be sensitive to yes and to no. We're to really be aware of light and dark. We're to really understand that not only your destiny, but see that, again, you are influencing your closest friends. Those you're around the most, you are influencing them. And the ones you're around the most are influencing you. The one you're around the most is the one you'll be influenced from the most. Is that deep? It's a deep revelation. It's one of Anderson's heavy revies. Heavy revelation. So just guess what? If you're around... God, if you're around true, heartfelt worship, you get to be more and more influenced by that. And you just make far better decisions. 
For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them when once they are given, and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. Just as you were once disobedient and rebellious towards God, but now have obtained his mercy through their disobedience, the Jews, so they also now are being disobedient when you're receiving mercy, that they in turn may one day through the mercy you're enjoying also receive mercy, that they may share the mercy which has been shown to you through you as messengers of the gospel to them. For God has consigned, verse 32 is huge too, for God has consigned or pinned up all men to disobedience only that he may have mercy on all of them alike. In other words, God's in his great, great, great grace. You got to catch this. He's looked at all mankind and said, I know that they're going to be disobedient in many areas. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just go ahead through the blood of Christ and be merciful unto all of them. So I'm just going to gather them all up in unbelief and shed mercy on them. Hallelujah. And that's what he's done to you and me. Uh, You don't smile about that now. You will later. Trust me. Hallelujah. Verse 33, Paul says, he's trying to find ways to say it. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unfathomable, inscrutable, unsearchable are his judgments, his decisions. And how untraceable, mysterious, and undiscoverable are his ways, his methods, his paths. For who has known the mind of the Lord And who has understood his thoughts or who has ever been his counselor? Or who has first given God anything that he might be paid back or that he could claim a recompense? For from him and through him and to him are all things. For all things originate with him. Your talent, your gift, your purpose. For all things originate with him and come from him. All things live through him. In other words, everything you've given, if you want life in it, it's going to come from you being near him. All things live through him and all things center in and tend to consummate and to end in him. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Say amen. I'm going to try to take a few more minutes because I know you guys don't want to get out early. Nobody ever wants to get out early. Look at the excitement. If you can see from my vantage point, right, the excitement that's on your faces. Paul said, I appeal to you, verse 1 of chapter 1. I appeal to you, therefore. You got to, Paul was a man of passion. You can't read the Bible, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren. You've got to, seriously, when you study the book, you have to put yourself in the pages. You've got to walk where they walk and try to see where they're speaking from. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and I beg of you, in view of all these mercies of God, would you please make a decisive dedication of your body, present all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. Probably what some of what Bobby will talk about. She'll definitely talk about that at one point. Make a decisive dedication of your body, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. Holy, devoted, consecrated, well-pleasing to God, which is simply your reasonable rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. In other words, that's the least you can do. Verse 2, I know we all know these verses, but we're going to read them all in context. Don't. Everybody say don't. 
Do not be conformed to this world. Now listen to me. If he says, don't be conformed to this world, guess what? That means you can be conformed to this world. Conform means to be squeezed into, fashioned into, put into that image. You hear what I mean? Like I do, I'm not trying to always I like point out Mike here over here, Mike Brown over here. Mike, you know, because he's plays in all these gigs all over this place with with big bands, better band, whatever, well-known bands, whatever. You know, a lot of them just don't know God. They don't know Christ. It's real easy. If he gave into it, he could allow their influence when the dirty jokes come, when the little slide trips happen, when the groupies come around, whatever, all the stuff that comes with it. You know, he can allow that to slowly but surely begin to wear away his Christian purpose. You know what I mean? Or he can become more and more resolute by staying and continuing to focus and to have his mind renewed and transformed by this and say, no, it's that simple. When you're faced with that stuff, you learn to say no. That's all. It's really, everybody say no once. See, you've just proven you can live holy. You say no. No. I'm going to live this way. I'm simply going to live this way. But Paul is shouting that there's a passion coming deep from his spirit. We quote it so simply, be not conformed to this world. knowing that. But listen, do not be conformed to this world, this age. Don't be fashioned. Don't adapt. Please don't adapt to its external superficial customs. But please, he says, be transformed. Be changed. Of course, the Greek word there is metamorphosis. Go through a metamorphosis, again, like a caterpillar into a butterfly. Changed in nature, character, and function. That's what that word means, metamorpho in the Greek. But be transformed and renewed or changed by the entire renewal of your mind. In other words, you're going to have to do something with stinking thinking. Right? You're going to have to change the way you think. This is, you know, all the messages we brought when we first took the church, you know, we, about failure, all these things that some people have identified. They've gone through a past failure, and now they think they are a failure. And I've, I've taught it a thousand times, probably. I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I've taught it a lot. Failure is an event, not a person. There's nobody... That hasn't gone through a failure, but you must not, but you must not, but you must not identify with an event that didn't go your way. And then begin to call yourself, look in the mirror and only see a failure. Now, it's difficult because the world will, if this is why I love it in Romans and Paul said, hast thou faith, have it to thyself as in the presence of God. The Amplified Bible says, do you have faith? Practice it. Practice it as in the presence of God. This is why when the Bible tells me that Rod Anderson has right standing with God, that I'm righteous. I want you to tell your neighbor right now, you have a righteous pastor. Say, look at this pastor. Say, look at Pastor Rod. He's righteous. 
I heard that baby. He was upset about that. But seriously, to actually, and you have to practice it. You can't, listen, it doesn't take but a few weeks, a couple of months to go by. And when you look in the mirror, you won't see somebody that's right with God. I remember all the teaching all through the book of Romans. We're not right with God based upon our behavior. We're right with God based upon Christ's behavior and our acceptance of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. What I'm trying to say is just again, this is what it means. Have their mind, you must, it's a continual process. It's a transformation. It's a metamorphosis where you really begin to see yourself like God sees you. You don't take anybody else's opinion. If This is why the Bible says, agree quickly with your adversary. You know, if you've made a mistake, the devil will get right on your back and say, you stupid idiot, you stupid idiot, you look what you did, you blew it, you stupid idiot, you. Agree with him. Say, you're right, I was, I was an idiot then, huh? <laughs> but I came by the blood of Christ to Jesus, he's forgiven my sin, and I'm starting all over brand new now. And you just agree with it, get it out of the way, and move forward. You don't sit there and go, right. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I'm going to call up 45 people and tell them how stupid I've been. I'm going to put it on the internet. I'm going to put it on Facebook. I'm going to post the worst picture of me in the life. Look at me. I fell and I blew it again. <laughs> and you'll look for sympathy. And sympathy will kill you. You don't want people around you that offer sympathy. Jesus Christ was never moved with sympathy. He was moved with compassion. I've said it over and over again. Sympathy is a soulish emotion. Compassion is a spiritual force. You, you need people around you that have compassion. I see you've made the mistake. Now let's get out of it. Let's dig yourself out of it and let's go forward. Hallelujah. I'm not going to hold it against you for the next 15 months. I remind you every day, you know, you know what you did. I know what you did. It's what Claudette does. Mike says Claudette, he has this trouble with Claudette all the time. Claudette's always saying, Mike, you know what you did last week. Mike, you know what you did last week. Yeah, I know what you did two weeks ago. Constantly bringing up a remembrance of the sins. No, I'm only kidding. Claudette's a loving wife. She would never do that. Right, Mike? You better be just Just say yes, Mike, quickly. We have all learned. Karen and Mike, you guys, I know. Yes, Mike. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We men know what side of the bed we sleep on. That's all I'm going to say. Hallelujah. But be transformed. Paul said, would you be transformed and changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and this new attitude so that you may prove for yourselves. This is the thing that bugs me. People don't realize that once you begin to do this, God shows you in a language you'll understand that this is right. That's what I love about the Lord. He speaks your language. He'll speak to you in a term, in a way that you'll comprehend, that you'll understand, whatever it is. He'll speak to you. He will, it says, that you may prove for yourselves what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. And here's that verse 3 again. Like I said, in the King James, it says, For God, by the grace of God, God has granted unto every individual the measure of faith. In the Greek, it says, The particular, unique, same, but equal amount of faith. 
Verse 3 in the Amplified, For by the grace, the unmerited favor of God given to me, I warn everyone among you, don't estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought. Don't have an exaggerated opinion of your own importance. But rate your ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned by God to him. That simply means be aware of what God's gifted you with. And be aware that God's gifted different people with different ways and different things. Do you really hear me? This is why you've got to quit judging other people by how you function. Like I was making jokes about listening. I want to tell you, if all a person is doing is trying to get his opinion on you, it's, you can't really help people. You, you can't really help people until you find out how they think. Because how they think controls what they will do. The thought life will precede the action life. But you can't judge somebody. If God's put a tremendous grace on you to pray every day, 14 hours a day, you can't judge other people who only pray like we do in this church five or six hours a day. Right, Kevin? Amen. Kevin back there, five, six, seven hours a day. Hallelujah. He just lets it rip. But do hear this. Every one of us has been given the measure of faith. Everybody. From day one, you've been gifted by God. He never withdraws his gifts once they are given. Hallelujah. He never removes the call once it's given. When you go before Christ, he will still say, what did you do with this? What's that in your hand? I'm just going to read now. For as in one physical body, we have many parts or organs and members, and all these parts do not have the same function or use. So we, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ the Messiah. And individually, we are parts one of another. Listen to that statement in the Amplified. Mutually dependent on one another. Amen? Mutually dependent on one another. This church would never go anywhere. It will never go anywhere if it's based upon a guy named Rod Anderson. Or Julie Anderson. Or Astrid. Or Mike Powell. Or Victor. Or anybody in here. Matt. Jason. Eska. Mike. I don't, we're dependent upon one another. Do you understand this? When Ed Cole was alive, like I said, when Ed would sit down with us, it used to shake me up. He said, you've got to understand something. If you're working with me, if you're on my staff, when we go do these men's events in Canada, Europe, wherever, he said, I will only be as good as you let me be. And we used to go, what? <laughs> I don't want that responsibility. He said, no. He said, you represent me. When you mess up, they look at me. When you mess up, they look at me. So C to a degree, you should all live better. <laughs> no, but we are mutually dependent upon one another. See, some, let's be honest, you know what I'm trying to say. Some people come to church expecting everything to happen from the dude that's up here in the front. That's not what church was ever intended to be about. 
This is why the worship team is supposed to have worship practice. <laughs> They're supposed to actually bow their knees before God so that they can then release and pray and say, Father, please help us be jointly fitted into this Sunday. You know, may we be right where you want us doing what you want us to do. Bobby, Emmanuel, overseeing the stuff that's having the sound guy, people on the overhead projector, hosts, ushers, offering counters. We're all mute. All it takes is for one of them to truly abdicate from their position of responsibility, and all of us are weakened. Now, that shouldn't upset you. That should make you feel better. What it does, it makes you say, as for me in my house, you know what I mean? You, you just man up, as it were, and you say, I'm at least going to do, I can't live for you, but I can't live for me. And I, for one, am going to come to church prayed up. Seriously, I'm not, you know, everybody that knows me, I don't preach condemnation. But you make a decision. I don't care about any. I can't worry about whether or not some, you know, it's really easy to always look at somebody else. Because the longer you look at somebody else, the less time you have to look at yourself. You know what I mean? Come on, you know what I mean. I'm just saying, you know, you say yes for me, I'm going to come ready. Hallelujah. I'm going to help. I'm going to do whatever God puts in front of me to do, and I'm going to do it with all my heart as under the Lord. We are parts one of another, mutually dependent on another. Verse 6, having gifts. And this is where we call the body gifts. And again, I could really take a ton of time because I've got 14 of my old Bible school notes on it, but I won't. I'm going to read these next few verses from the King James, first of all. This is Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Let me read them from the King James on my outline. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let, it, let him do it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching... Let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So there's seven what we call motivational gifts or body gifts. These are not these are not apostolic gifts. These are not you know gifts that are you know the the ministry gifts. These are body gifts. Every single person in church flows in one of these seven areas. Prophecy, ministry or serving, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, giving or liberality, ruling or membership or mercy. Hallelujah. And it lists these. Actually, I'm, I'm just, I'll, I'll finish with this. Let me just do this. Let me go through them very quickly. First of all, let me say this. You can be a teacher and not stand in the office of a teacher. In other words, when he talks about this, this is talking about body gifts. But the way you become qualified for a pastoral gift or qualified for a ministry gifting is being found faithful in a body gifting and a gift, the gifts of the spirit that are within the body. Prophecy motivation. I'll give you <laughs> pros and cons. Characteristics of somebody in the body, somebody in the body of Christ. Like there are several people here that are prophetic, as it were. Characteristics of people that are in prophecy, usually very outspoken. Sometimes they make quick judgments based on what is seen and heard only. Often they react too quickly. Often they're impulsive, painfully direct. They love friends enough to correct them, and therefore they have few intimate friends. Okay? See, there's pros and cons. There's an upside and a downside. Like Cindy Jacobs talks about, there's a, 
there's, you can lean this much and she can be incredibly prophetic. She can lean just this much and she becomes arrogant. There's downsides and upsides to every gifting. Uh, there are people with insights. They're the more, bold, the more bold ones. They're prone to chop you up at times. <clears throat> you know, people with the, f- the finger of God right in your face. But that's okay. They're prone. They may have insights and pro- into problems you may have, but seemingly, they seemingly have very little compassion on the surface when referring to them. They speak like this. This is your problem, buddy. Take care of it. But the fact matter is sometimes we need people like that to slap us into shape. Amen? Is that right, Daniel? That's right. Hallelujah. Daniel knows. The ministry of the serving gift. It's like the ministry of helps. This church is full of wonderful people that help. Characteristics. They normally don't talk too much. They simply see what needs to be done and they do it. They demonstrate love with deeds and not words. They have real joy in serving others to free them up in their vision. Now, the negative side of that is that often they'll work till their health is neglected. They can work until they can't concentrate well, and saying no often is difficult for them. Often they take too many involvements, their tendencies to feel inadequate for spiritual ministry, and home responsibilities can be neglected in order to help others and so on. In other words, all of them. This is why, again, we want so many people involved, because we don't want people to get burnt out, because we've got a lot of wonderful people here. I think I can, you know, I think of Victor sometimes. Victor just, you know, constantly, never says a word, just does everything. Works 100 miles an hour to do it. Teaching characteristics, the word is didaskalos, which simply means to divide or to gather truth. Characteristics of a teaching gift. Are you guys bored with me already? I know you're real cold, but just, it's tough. I'm sorry, but I'm still here. The doors are locked. Ain't nobody going anywhere. Okay, a few more minutes. we got another 10 minutes. Another 10 minutes, you'll still be out of here remarkably early as to what Dar usually does. Characteristics of somebody with a teaching motivation. They'll present truth in systematic sequences. They love to research. They have alertness to detail. But on the negative side, they can have a tendency to kind of be a little proud of everything they know. They can become critically spirited, often too intent to speak, and therefore they don't listen well. They can bore listeners with too many details. This is somebody who loves to clarify spiritual truth. They desire to get people involved in the Word of God. Even as they talk, they instruct and teach. They love starting Bible studies, all kinds of things. Then the third gifting, or actually fourth gifting in this body gift, is exhortation. It says it's a gift. It's the gift of exhortation. The word means encouragement. A lot of people don't realize encouragement you know, I talk about that a lot here, is one of the most important gifts anybody can ever have. And like I say, everybody in any church, every single Sunday should say, Father, show me one or two people to encourage. Show me a few people that I can just go up to, pat on the back and say, man, I appreciate what you're doing. You're doing a great job. You know, just build them up. The characteristics exhorters can speak to people on their own level. They can visualize goals to help people. A negative side of it is sometimes they can raise the expectations of others prematurely. In other words, not laying out the truth. They can treat friends and family as projects and not just people. In other words, they can flatter you. They can come up and they can just say all manner of, wow, man, all in the name of encouragement. But it's flattery. And there's a difference between flattery and praise. Flattery is of the soul and is really not godly. Where praise, of course, is from the spirit. And you can sense the difference in a moment when somebody's actually praising what you do or trying to flatter you. 
in other words, get closer to you because of something you're able to do. Exhorters are constantly encouraging people to grow. They may not be able to teach a topic completely well themselves, but they'll sure tell you where to go and get taught. They're always concerned about your welfare, interested in people, always encouraging. Keep studying now. The giving gift, this is literally a gift. There are some people that are called to the ministry of liberality, it says. Giving. I don't know. Nobody ever gets loud on that The characteristics of this is not just money, but it's time and effort. It's able to to discern wise investments. They'll give quietly, not publicly. They'll respond to the Lord's appeal, not man's appeal. On a negative side, they can cause family resentment sometimes because some people that have a real gift to give, I've known people in our churches in the past, I mean, when other people should have been giving, who could have been giving, they just kept giving. And they, because their heart was, I just want to help. But they gave to the point that it began to hurt their own family. And it began to cause problem in the marriage. And like I said, you know, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You have to find where this is. This is the first time I've ever had in years the worship team come up behind me to hurry me to finish. I'm, I'm trying so desperately not to be offended. But they, they all decided, they were all talking back there. I saw Lucy and all of them, they were talking. They said, let's hurry right up because it's cold. We want to go home. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's all right. <laughs> People with the giving motivation, they just love to see the financial needs of the church and others. If they could, they'd pay for the whole building themselves. They'll go out of the way to help in the financial areas. But it says, let him do it with simplicity. That means with no outward show of pride. They prefer no one to know about their giving. Nevertheless, they can be the strong gatherers of others to bring help and support. Rulers or organizers, they'll break down goals into smaller tasks, research what sources are available. Delegation is a strong point. They'll inspire and encourage. Like I said, I can feel the pressure, so I'm going to have to go. The final one is the mercy motivation. But I I do want you just to hear that just for a moment again, that there's literally seven different body gifts there in Romans 12. This is, I'm going to just finish by giving the illustration I used to give in Bible schools when I teach this. Mercy motivation. Characteristics, these are people that need deep, committed friendships or react harshly when an intimate friend is rejected or spoken ill against. They have a greater concern for one's mental state than their physical state. They often attract people who have mental or emotional distress. They have a need to measure acceptance by physical closeness and quality time spent together. And they, But the negative side is they have a tendency to avoid firmness and decisions. They'll often establish possessive friendships with others. Mercy motivated. I'm real mercy motivated. It's got me in trouble a lot. But so there's these seven different ones. And here's my illustration. Then we're going to... You'll be done in five minutes. Everybody say glory to God. That's still very early compared to Rod Anderson's time. Here's an illustration. Rod's up here speaking. I have a glass of water here. I knock it over. The person with the prophecy motivation, why'd you take that glass of water up there in the first place, Rod? Why didn't you get a drink before you started? You could have waited until you were finished at least. That's what somebody with a prophetic motivation would say. Somebody with a ministry motivation, after I knock over a glass of water, they wouldn't say anything. 
they'd just start picking up the glass, wiping up the water, and they'd leave without telling anybody. It's what they do. If it's a person with a teaching motivation, and I've knocked a glass of water over, they'll say, now, Rod, you're right-handed. You should have set this glass over here on the left side, and it never would have happened. I've noticed you always wave your hand this way, so let's set the glass over here next time. The person with the exhortation motivation. Now, Rod, what great spiritual lesson did you learn from that? What deep truth is there? The giving motivation. Now, Rod, don't worry. I'll buy us another glass. In fact, I'll buy us a whole set of glasses. You can break as many as you want. Person with the ruling motivation. All right, this won't happen again. Let's get some volunteers. Let's get a pitcher of water set up over here. Let's get a table, three glasses in case it ever does happen again. They're setting goals. They want to make sure everything's together. Finally, the mercy motivation. <laughs> they'll wait until you get outside. They'll corner you and they'll say something like, Rod, I know just how you feel. I know how embarrassing this can be. You know, the minister that was here last month did the same thing. So don't feel so bad. Well, I've done it myself. They're trying to remove the hurt and pain. All I know is this. Brand new year always has brand new motivation, brand new hope, brand new dreams. I guess the main thing I wanted you to hear this morning is, number one, back to, back to Romans. Every one of you, because of God's word, have a designed gift by heaven on the inside of you. I don't care what anybody else has ever said about you. You're gifted by God. And God never rescinds, revokes his gifts once they're given. He never changes his mind about those to whom he sends his call. I said he never changes his mind. Hallelujah. What I had to learn by that, because I was always, I was Mr. Shy. I was the guy that in school always took, I took failing grades in school rather than, you know, when you had to get up in front of the class and read something or do something, I'd never do it. I was too embarrassed. I was too shy. And I just sat down knowing I'd get an F. I'd get a failing grade. And uh, so when, you know, God began to deal with me about the possibility of speaking, no to say the least. I ran a million miles from it. I think I've told this story when I was at Teen Challenge. The very first time I was ever asked if I would share, they had a thing called a praise in every Thursday night. They had music. Then they'd have somebody get up and share for about 30 minutes. And then they'd praise God into the wonderful, warm, balmy California summer evening all out underneath the stars. I studied and studied and studied. I'd never spoken for anybody in my life. And they wanted me to study something. I studied. I had literally six, well, I had 12 pages, six pages front and back, typed out notes. And I had 35 minutes. Greg Strange, who was assistant director of Teen Challenge, he introduces me. Says, we've got Rod Anderson. Rod's going to come up and he's going to share with us. And so I read... All, this is not a joke and exaggeration. I read all 12 pages, 12 full pages of notes. I read all 12 pages and I looked at my watch and three minutes had gone by. Three minutes and I'm supposed to be up for 30 minutes. I began to sweat. I mean, literally sweat. I'm not, I mean, my, the perspiration, I mean, I was, I, I was going up and, uh, uh, 
Uh, there was only about 50 people there, but uh, finally took Greg, Greg Strange walked up and he goes, he put his arm around me and said, hey, 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 Amen, Rod. Thank you very much, Rod. Why don't you go have a seat? Let's bring the band back on up. <laughs> I mean, I just, no way. But every single one of you have something inside of you that you may as well. I, I, I had to make, I, I, I wound up doing this with God. I heard God say that to me. You know, I've given you a gift. You like to search stuff out. You, you like to dig stuff out. You see things that other people don't see right now. You see them from your own angle. Your angle would be different than any other person's angle in the whole world. I need you. And that's what he will say to you too. And I finally had to say to myself, you know what? I'm actually going to appear before the Lamb of God and he's going to ask me what I did with the stuff that he put in my heart. And so the attitude suddenly hit me. I may as well go ahead and give it a shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I may as well go ahead and step out. And that's all I'm saying for every one of you. Don't you dare draw back right now. It's a brand new year full of brand new purpose, full of brand new grace. And God's hand is upon me. I mean, I do. I look, I, I know Kenny's just standing over there. It was really good. I haven't listened to it yet, but I had a few people already tell me. And he was just on Premier Radio sharing some of the stuff that he's doing. Incredible. Good stuff. Just, I look out. I Honestly, I see people and I think about the grace. I love all the stuff that Bobby's doing. You know, Bobby has her clothes and now she's painting as well. And she's writing blogs. David back there holding the post up near the church, writing 5,000 books a week. You know what I mean? So many people, Depot doing stuff here in Nigeria. I just think, my God, you know, the stuff that's on the inside. You're never too old to do something, by the way, too. So those of you that are over 40... Don't neglect the gift that's in you. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. Please go to work with it. Start praying over it. And let the Spirit of God breathe on it so that it can become everything it needs to become. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 